0: My throat today I I've spent too much time this week talking some people say I spend too much time in my life talking and they wish I'd shut up it's getting close um, and then I compounded it by um, going to this stupid sporting event last night <clears throat> you know you want to get good at religion just be a Texas Tech football fan you've got all these things to repent of the next morning after the game. Now, this morning, we're continuing to work through these Jesus devotionals. I'm pretty excited about next week, but I was pretty excited about this week back when I was working on it. So I'm still excited about it as well. But next week, we're going to look at Jesus' teachings on worship. And it's an interesting way to look at worship. So I hope that you're here next week. This week, however, we've got something else to do. I want to talk about how Jesus taught us, and by living and and by teaching, how to deal with the interruptions in life. We all have them. If I were to tell you my plans for a day, my plans are pretty clear. I know exactly what I plan on doing basically day by day. I live a life that's pretty scheduled. And someone said to me, well, don't you believe in spontaneity? And I said, yes, as long as we schedule it. And it, it's, it, spontaneity has its time and place. And, and, and I love to be spontaneous, but, but my life is pretty regimented. And, and it's down in increments of, of time. And it's just the nature of the life I live. So I find this very useful because I find that as I'm moving down that road of life, um, it's not always the way I anticipate it to be. So there are these detours, there it is, these interruptions that happen along the way where I'm going, let's say I'm going this way, aren't I? I'm going this way and I feel like things are right, but all of a sudden the road is blocked or something happens. And we're going to look at that today with Jesus. We're going to look at how he dealt with those interruptions. And so in the process of that, the first one we're going to look at is a detour that happened in his life because of some children. So we're going to look at the children's interruption in Jesus' day. And then Jesus continues. He deals with that interruption. But sure enough, as he continues through his day, another detour happens. And he uses that as a teaching moment. And so we're going to look at that detour as well. And then Jesus makes his way through that only to find another detour, this time with needy people. And it's almost as if Jesus' life is dictated by detours rather than by his plans. It's dictated by interruptions more so sometimes than it is... The, the schedule that, that he might have had otherwise. And so we'll look at how he navigated that and hopefully we'll have time to look at yet another detour he had and that's when he was faced with troublemakers. So within the framework of that, I offer you these vignettes from the life of Jesus. Sam, you wore a University of Texas shirt and sat right in my line of sight. Okay. I'm going to interrupt my lesson, and I'm going to make a detour, and I don't want to offend you, Sam, but I want you to understand, your mascot is a cow. (laughs) Enough said, okay? Now admittedly, we could not stop the cattle drive at the end of the fourth quarter, and the cows drove all the way into the end zone but it's a cow. Now, let's get back to the lesson. Enough detour there. The first detour is the kids. So let's look at the kids' detour, and it comes from Matthew 19. It starts with verse 10, and then it goes a little further. 19 verse 10. The disciples are talking to Jesus, and Jesus is talking to the disciples. They're having a dialogue. It's an important conversation. This conversation deals with matters of eternal significance. Jesus knows, though the apostles aren't really that aware of it at the time, I don't think. But Jesus knows these are the people who are going to be responsible for giving us our gospels. These are the people who are going to be responsible for giving us the stories of the life of Christ so that we know what happened. These are the people who are the foundations and the pillars of the church. These are the first missionaries that are going to go forth. First into Jerusalem and Judea and then to to Galilee and Samaria and beyond. It is going to be these people and they're getting critical instruction and dialogue. And the ministry of Jesus with these people is concentrated down in basically three years. In the States, it takes at least four years, generally, to get a college degree. And these people, they only have three years and they are got to get everything and try to learn. And it's important. So they're having this dialogue with Jesus. And they're talking to him and they're asking him questions and he's giving them answers and it's all very important. And do you know what happens? A bunch of people come up bringing him children for him to lay hands on them and pray for them. Now I don't think the disciples were mean people. I don't think Jesus selected as his apostles people who were children haters. But they're in the middle of something really, really important. And someone's coming up to them. Oh, hey, we've got these kids here. Would you put your hands on them and pray for them? And That's an interruption of the plan. And the reaction that Matthew records... And I give Matthew the applause for recording this. It's not always easy to write something about yourself that you're not real proud of. But Matthew records and says, the disciples rebuked the people. The disciples turned around to rebuke is to speak harshly, to warn, to correct the disciples turned and said, hey, you're interrupting. Can't you see we're in the middle of something, a serious dialogue? Just hang on and wait. But while the disciples are rebuking the parents, Jesus is also talking. And unlike the apostles, Jesus says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So what do we do with this? Well, one of the things I wish we could all do is read it in the Greek. Because the Greek is really fun to read. In the Greek, the the rebuking is set in a parallel to Jesus. And it's just really clear. Matthew wants us to see the contrast between the way the apostles reacted to this interruption and the way Jesus did. And whenever we translate from Greek into English... There's always the frustrating choice of which words uh, should you use. Because those Greek words have a a range of meaning beyond a simple English word. How many of you have a good familiarity with a second language? Raise your hand. Okay, a, a good bit of you. You know how with other languages, sometimes you can translate something word for word, but you don't always get the, 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 the full spectrum of meaning. And so that's a problem with the Bible translators. And so they do, the, they, they do the best they can. And in some ways they try to keep, they're struggling with tradition and what's the traditional translation. So people don't think that they've just done something wacko. But then they're trying to also illustrate some points that are made in the original that you don't just get. And they're trying to put it into a language that people can understand most readily. And all of that's very frustrating. So we've got translations that are also rather open to try and, and not be a, a word for word translation, but an idea translation. The message is one of those by Peterson. It's a really good one. So I want you to get a little idea of what this Greek sort of looks like. So I've tried to translate this a little more directly through, through some ideas into the Greek. So here it is with my Greek flag as the background. Then they, the apostles, the disciples, were interrupted by parents. That doesn't say parents, but it's probably parents because that's who has their children by parents who brought their children for Jesus to touch them and to pray over them. That's a pretty worthy introduction. Now, the disciples spoke sternly to the parents, warning them not to interrupt. Meanwhile, Jesus said, Forgive the children. Overlook this. Let it slide. Don't be this way in front of these little children. Don't chew the parent out in front of the kid who's come to Jesus for Jesus to pray over them. Stop holding them back from me. Because they are, they're like, hey, keep these kids back. When you read the Greek, they're holding the kids back from Jesus. Jesus says, stop holding them back from me. The kingdom of heaven, it exists for these very kinds of people. The whole reason the apostles are learning from Jesus is to spread the kingdom of heaven. Well, these are the people we're spreading it to. Come on. You know, they probably had a little dent in their head right here from going, duh. I mean, it's come on. Now, it's interesting the way Matthew writes this also because Matthew's got three words in here that are the identical Greek words that Matthew used in the Lord's Prayer. See these words right here? If I've got them in there, it is. See these words: forgive the children. The the most translations say uh, uh, let the children come, and they use the word let, allow. But it's not so much an allow; it's the word for forgive, for let it go. It's the word Matthew uses in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, that we forgive those who sin against us. What Jesus taught them to pray is as we let it go when people do something that, that, that's wrong against us. Jesus says, just let it go, forgive them. And then for kingdom of heaven, those are our Greek words in the Lord's prayer as well. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's that's the Lord's kingdom. That's the kingdom of heaven. So those words are in there. And Matthew's got those in there. Because he wants the apostles to understand what they saw as a problem was in fact an opportunity. That interruption that they saw as a problem was one that was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to stop and to pray for those children. It was an opportunity to show them the love of Jesus and to show their parents the love of Jesus. It was an opportunity to do what they were there to do. It was an opportunity to be a learning lesson. It was an opportunity to live out the instructions that they were getting. They just didn't get it. They didn't get it. You got it? Okay. Next stop. A teaching moment. This is Luke 10, 25 through follow, and, and following. Here it is. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test. And the lawyer said, Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now Jesus said, what's written in the Torah? What's written in the law? How do you read it, lawyer? And the lawyer answered and said, from Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Shema, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And you will love your neighbor as yourself, which is another commandment in the Old Testament, in the Torah. And Jesus says, yeah, that's true. You do that. And you'll live but this lawyer wanted to justify himself he wanted to be self righteous he wanted to make sure that he had dotted his I's and crossed his T's this lawyer wanted to leave no doubt on stone that this lawyer was nailing it he was getting the 10.0 in the Olympic grading scale He was sticking the landing like a Romanian gymnast. He was there. And so the lawyer says, let's just be real clear, who's my neighbor? We going down two houses or three? (laughs) Because your need to love your neighbor. That makes it really important choosing where you live. I mean, if it's two or three houses, I'm okay. But that fourth house down from us, I just assume not I'm making that up by the way I don't I, we love our neighbors I don't even know who's in the fourth house down from us but I'm sure they are great people uh, no we do this is a teachable moment for Jesus now here's what Jesus teaches him with though Jesus says let me tell you a story about interruptions Let me tell you a story about things not going the way you plan. And we'll learn who your neighbor is. So Jesus replied. A man was going down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's in the hills. Down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed. Leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road. This is an interruption in the priest's day. Priest is headed down the road. Oh my, there's a fella, I'm not even sure he's alive. He's clearly been beset upon by robbers. Now recognize, priest does not have a cell phone. There is no phone booth nearby. Dial 911 and make this the government's problem. It's the priest and it's the fella in need. And when the priest saw the fella in need, he said, I don't want to judge the priest too harshly what if that fellow had been beat up what look i've seen the tv shows that's a classic trap you go to help that fella and that's when the other three jump out from behind the rock and beat the crud out of you i can understand i'm not gonna be too harsh on the priest it's kind of like Going to the other side of the road. I'm just in case. It wasn't just an interruption for the priest. There was a Levite who came to the place, and the Levite saw him. And the Levite passed by on the other side, too. Then. A Samaritan. Now the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. By and large, the Samaritans hated the Jews. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. And they were always fighting. They wouldn't have anything to do with each other. They considered the other one not worthy of being spit on. If a Samaritan's on fire, most Jews would not do anything to put him out and vice versa it was a two-way street this animosity so the Samaritan comes and he sees him and when the Samaritan came across this interruption he had compassion he went to the poor fellow, and he started putting Clothing and, and, and things around the guy's cuts and wounds, and he pours some oil on him and he pours wine that's alcohol to kill the germs. Then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, do you see that? And the next day. So this fella interrupted not just his moment, but he interrupted his whole day and night. He stays at the inn and takes care of the guy overnight. And then the next day, when he's got to get on his journey, he takes out two days of wages, two denarii, and he gives them to the innkeeper. And he says, hey, now you take care of him, and whatever you spend, I'll repay it when I come back. Jesus said, who was the neighbor? The Samaritan. Someone who lives far away, who hates him? You, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves and our neighbor's everybody. So I was at a a seminar this week in in New Orleans. And on Thursday night, there was a speaker's dinner and uh, Becky and I were there and sitting at, at our table, was a a marvelous, marvelous woman who is a law professor at Emory University in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And she loves the Lord. She's smart. And she said to me, she said, I have a religious question for you, which doesn't happen often at these legal seminars. And I said, yeah. She said, so here we are, we're wearing nice clothes. Tomorrow we'll be getting up and giving our speeches in nice clothes. I dare say none of us are staying at the Motel 6. And yet there are people in desperate need. How do we justify that? And how do we? She said, I'm talking to my husband about this. Her husband's a surgeon. She said, how do we justify going out and buying another set of clothes? and she's walking a tightrope ethically trying to figure this out i tried to find a picture that sort of shows shows you what i could sense in her voice and that's the closest i could come she's walking that tightrope and all of a sudden she's looking ahead and she's already starting to fall at what that rope is doing and she's got no chance And I told her I said "Um, here are my thoughts for what they're worth maybe it gives you something to think about but I said I I first want to commend you for asking the question because all too often we don't ask those questions all too often we put on blinders to keep from seeing those questions and to keep from seeing the street people In Kenya or wherever it may be. I said I can't give you a definite answer. For everyone. I said Jesus taught that there's always going to be poor people. There's always going to be hungry. And there's always going to be people in poverty. And we're never going to fix all of that. But Jesus also taught us that when we do things for the least of these. We're doing them for him. Because it should matter to us. We live in a society where we think we do that because we pay a lot of our money in taxes and that those taxes go to provide basic care. But we also know that in many times that basic care is not basic care and that should not be the satisfaction for our conscience. We know that we're supposed to tithe, we're supposed to give of our income to the Lord. And we're to take 10% from the very beginning and we're to give it. She said, is that before or after taxes? I said, well, it depends on who you ask. I said, but but we we know that we're to do it as a way of showing God we recognize everything we have as his and we're just caretakers. It reminds us as we live that way. I said, all of these things are going on. I said, but I also want to urge you to consider the parable of the good Samaritan. She said, what does that have to do with it? I said, one of the things that's really overlooked in that parable is Jesus is talking about how we love our neighbors. And within the framework of that, he's defining who a neighbor is. And the neighbor is the man who, through his normal life or her normal life, comes across people who are in need. And when you do, you try to figure out how to help them. God will put the people in need that you need to help in front of you. I was talking to one of my daughters on the phone yesterday and uh, in the middle of talking to her, she said, "Uh, oh, hang on, dad. And I hear her say to this fella, "Um, our daughter lives outside of Miami. She said, I'm sorry, sir, I don't have any money to give you, but here is a bag that's got some food and some coupons and some things in it. And uh, I hope God can use this to make your day better. She gives him a bag. I said, what was that about? She said, well our church is trying real hard to make all of us keep little bags in our car. They've got a, some information about God and how God loves them, but also has a food coupon or two and has some, you know, some food in there. And so I, she said, this guy was just a beggar and I thought that'd be a good thing to do. And I thought, wow, I need to go get some bags. Um, but I I, I do think that part of this message at its heart and at its core is one that says get your heart right and then work to do right and I want to tell you Jesus told this to the fellow who was trying to be self-righteous and if we don't struggle with the answer then heaven help us because we are self-righteous in our own minds and I promise you none of us are that good. So you bet this is one that's hard and you bet this is one that we should struggle with and you bet this is one where we should try to figure out am I being godly in the way I handle my, 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 my opportunities? Because it's when we struggle that we realize we all fall short and we don't all have the answers. And God saved me because I'm never going to be good enough to do it on my own. Which is what God was trying to teach that lawyer. You can't do anything to inherit eternal life and earn it on your own. You're not good enough. You can't even figure out who your neighbor is. You can't even figure out when you can buy new clothes and when you can't. You're not even struggling over that. And you need to. This needs to be a real issue. Well said, Thank you. That's just interruptions. All right. Let's have time for a third interruption. So if we had time to read Matthew 9. And i got two minutes left. If we had time to read Matthew 9. Jesus is just having his day. And in the middle of his day, a paralytic comes up to him. Well, it doesn't come up. It's brought to him. Another fellow's got a daughter who's dead. There's a woman with an issue of blood that won't stop. Who's just bothering him from behind, touching his robe. Two blind men who need him to go into his house. And a mute fellow who's demonically possessed. Those were the interruptions in the day. Oh, to have a day in the life video of Jesus. Jesus. I mean, at some point, you just, I just want to say, ah, listen, I got things to do. I get 250 substantive emails every day. Can you please go find someone else to minister to you? I don't have time. But when Jesus, the son of God, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And I'll tell you with all of those interruptions, Jesus found God's mission for that day and the paralytic walked. The dead daughter came back from the dead. The bleeding woman stopped bleeding. The blind man saw. The demonically possessed mute man was cleansed. And he spoke. I look at that chapter, I look at all those interruptions, and it makes me realize that while I'm digging through my calendar, I need to be looking for God's mission in my day. I need to be looking for what God's got for me to do today. It may not be all of my emails. There's this medical terminology called triage. Some of those emails have to be dealt with, or I'm going to jail metaphorically speaking, I hope. But some of those emails can wait while we do some other things that are a higher priority. And we got to shift it around. We got to be looking for God's mission in our day. Last one, we'll do it briefly. Troublemakers, Matthew twelve nine through 15. Jesus goes on from there. He enters into the synagogue and there's a man with a withered hand. Now this fella's got a withered hand. It's a problem that he's had that I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. The idea of the Son of God being able to restore that hand was huge. I don't have withered hands, but I've got some areas in my life that are withered just as much that I would love to have the Son of God fix. And so Jesus looks at him and knows that they're using that man to test Jesus. And so Jesus says, hey... Is it lawful for me to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful for me to do something good like that? Well, that's the question that was asked of Jesus. I'm sorry I said I think I said Jesus said that. They they said that. Because they want to accuse Jesus. Here it is. He goes on there A man's there with a withered hand. They ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. Jesus said, which one of you has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, won't take it and lift it out. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? So yes, you can do good on the Sabbath. You can do good on the Sabbath. So he says to the man, stretch out your hand. Man stretched it out, he was restored healthy like the other. The Pharisees, they go out to conspire against Jesus how to destroy him. Jesus is aware and he withdraws. But a lot of followers followed him and healed them all. Didn't stop him from doing what he was gonna do. But he didn't stay there either. And that's the lesson with interruptions. And troublemakers who interrupt you. Don't let them keep you from doing what's right before God. But by the same token, you don't have to poke the bear. (laughs) Here it is at the end. Real life is not a straight road. It's just not. But it's not impossible. This is not the way life is. A brick wall that just stops you. What this life is about is it's about interruptions because we don't understand everything God's got planned for us and he's going to be opening some doors and closing some others. So I think the better picture is this maze and we need to find God's path through the interruptions of life. Jesus taught us that and demonstrated that. He taught it in word and deed. That's the class on interruptions. Next week we'll look at Jesus' teachings on worship. I want to pray a prayer over you. Um, Thank you. Father, we ask your blessings on all who hear this message. That you will instill in us a spirit of um, calmness before the frustrations of this life. Father, minister to us through your spirit an appreciation of your mission and what you're trying to do through us. So that we embrace your agenda with a smile and excitement and set our agenda down. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.